Hey sis, welcome back to Girl Good Night. I'm Return of Lamac, and every Sunday you can relax to binaural beats while I read you a melanated bedtime story. Tap into this show on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. All links will be in the episode description. Submit original work and future episode suggestions to girlgoodnightpodcast at gmail.com. Help your friends sleep in melanated peace. Girl, share the show and show us some love with a five-star rating and review. Tonight, we will be reading The Gooford Grapevine, written by Charles W. Chestnut in 1887. Charles Waddell Chestnut, born in 1858, was an African-American author, essayist, political activist, and lawyer. Although he identified as African-American, he was primarily of European descent and was able to pass for a white man. At the age of nine, Chestnut and his family moved to Fayetteville, North Carolina, where he would eventually become the second principal of the Howard School, now known as Fayetteville State University, a historically black university. In 1887, Chestnut passed the bar exam in Ohio and started a court reporting business, which was his primary source of income. From then, he began writing, and two of his books were adapted into silent films in 1926 and 1927 by Oscar Michel, an African-American director and producer. Chestnut also served as a general committee member of the NAACP and contributed short stories and essays to its publication, The Crisis. Charles Chestnut died on November 15, 1932, at the age of 74. In 2008, Chestnut's legacy was memorialized when the United States Postal Service featured him on the 31st stamp in the Black Heritage Stamp series. The Goofer Grapevine was the first work written by an African American to be published in the esteemed magazine The Atlantic Monthly. At the time of its publishing, the magazine editors did not know that Chestnut was a black man. The story is set in post-Civil War Patesville, modern-day Fayetteville, North Carolina, where a white northerner comes to investigate a vineyard that he is interested in purchasing. During his visit, he meets a former slave who reveals the vineyard's cursed history. In this episode, Uncle Julius McAdoo continues his story and the northerner and his wife learn the fate of the new slave Henry and Master Dougal. Due to the era in which this story was written, it contains language that is racially offensive and is written in the dialect of Southern African Americans in the mid-19th century. Some of the language has been revised or omitted for the purposes of this show. Now, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and sleep in melanated peace. The Goofer Grapevine, Part 2 now it happened to one of the black men on the next plantation, one of old Mass Henry Brayboy's boys, who ran away the day before and took to the swamp. 
And no Master Dugo and some of the other neighbor white folks had gone out there with their guns and their dogs for to help them hunt for that man. And the hands on our own plantation was so frustrated, we forgot to tell the new hand about the goof on the scorpion vines. Cause he smelled the grapes and seen the vines. And after dark, first thing he did was went to slip off to them grapevines and say nothing to nobody. Next morning, he told some of them black men about that fine beta scorpion he ate the night before. When they told him about the goof on them grapevine, he said that terrified he turned pale and looked like he was going to die right in his tracks. The overseer come up and asked what was the matter, and when they told him Henry been eating other scorpions and he got the goof on him, he gave Henry a big drink of whiskey and allowed that the next rainy day he'd take him over to Aunt Peggy's and see if she wouldn't take the goof off, and seeing as he ain't know nothing about it till he done ate the grapes. Sure enough, it rained the next day, and the overseer went over to Aunt Peggy's with Henry. And Aunt Peggy said that being as Henry didn't know about the goofer and ate the grapes in ignorance of the consequences, she reckoned she might be able to take the goofer off him. So she fought out a bottle with some conjure medicine in it and poured some out in a gold for Henry to drink. He managed to get it down. He said it tastes like whiskey with some bitter in it. She allowed that to keep the goof off him till the spring. But when the sap began to rise in the grapevines, he had to come see her again, and she'd tell him what to do. Next spring, when the sap commenced to rise in the scorpion vine, Henry took a ham one night. Where'd he get the ham? I don't know. There wasn't no hams on the plantation except what was in that smokehouse, but I never seen Henry about the smokehouse. But as I was saying, he took the ham over to Aunt Peggy's. And Aunt Peggy told him that when Master Dougal began to prune the grapevines, he must go and take the scrape off the sap where it oozed out the cuttings of the vines and anoint his head with it. And if he do that once a year, the goofer wouldn't work again in him long as he done it. And being as he fetched her that ham, she fixed it so he can eat all the scuppin' on he won't. So him anoint his head with the sap out the big grapevines that's halfway twixt the quarters in the big house, and the goofer never work again in that summer. But then the beanest thing you ever seen happened to Henry. Up to that time, he was bald as a sweet potato. But then, as soon as the young leaves began to come out on the grapevines, their hair began to grow out of Henry's head. And by the middle of the summer, he had the biggest head of hair on the plantation. Before that, Henry had tolerable good hair around the edges. But soon as the young grapes began to come, Henry's hair began to curl up in little balls, just like this regular grappa hair here. And by the time them grapes got ripe, his head looked like a bunch of grapes. Combing it did no good. He worked at it half the night with a Jim Crow, and then he get it straightened out. But in the morning, them grapes would be there just the same. So he getting up and tried to keep the grapes down by having his hair cut short. But that wasn't the quarriest thing about the goofer. When Henry come to the plantation, he was getting a little old and stiff in the joints. But that summer, he got just as spry and lively as any young man on that plantation. Fact, he got so biggity that Mass Jackson, the overseer, had to threaten to whip him if he didn't stop cutting up his dittos and behave himself. But the most curious thing happened in the fall, when the sap began to go down in the grapevines. First, when the grapes was gathered, the knots began to straighten out in Henry's hair, and when the leaves began to fall, Henry's hair missed a drap out. And when the vines were bare, Henry's hair was baller than it was in the spring, and he began to get old and stiff in the joints again and paid no more attention to the gals during the whole winter. And the next spring, when he rubbed that sap on again, he got young again and so supple and lively that none of the young men on the plantation could jump, nor dance, nor hold as much cotton as Henry. 
But in the fall of the year, his grapes miss a straighten out and his joints get to stiff and his hair drop off and the rheumatiz getting to wrestle with him. Now if you'd have known old Mads Duke of McAdoo, you'd have known it had to been a mighty rainy day when he couldn't find something for his men to do. And it had to be a mighty little hole he could crawl in though. And it had to be a monstrous cloudy night when a dollar get by him in the darkness. And when he seen how Henry get young in the spring and old in the fall, he lied to himself. Is how he could make more money out of Henry than by working him in the cotton field. Long the next spring, after the sap minced the rise, and Henry nun his head and started for to get young and supple, Mas Duga up and took Henry to town and sold him for fifteen hundred dollars. Cause the man would buy Henry didn't know nothing about the goofer, and Mas Duga didn't see no occasion for to tell him. Long towards the fall, when the stat went down and Henry began to get old again, same as usual, and his new master began to get scared lest he going to lose his $1,500 man, he sent for the mighty fine doctor, but the medicine didn't pair to do no good. The goofer had a good hope. Henry told the doctor about the goofer, but the doctor just laughed at him. One day in the winter, Mas Duga went to town and was sauntering along the main street when who should he meet but Henry's new master. They said, Howdy. Then Master Duga asked him to have a cigar, and after they run on a while about the cracks in the weather, Master Duga asked him, sort of careless-like, as if he thought of it, How you like that boy I saw you last spring? Henry's master shook his head and knocked the ashes off in his cigar. Speck I made a bargain when I bought that boy. Henry done good work all the summer, but since the fall set in, he appears to be sort of pining away. There ain't nothing particular to matter with him, less the ways the doctor says so, seppin' a touch of the rheumatiz, but his hairs are falling out and if he don't pick up his strength mighty soon, I speck I'm gonna lose him. They smoked on a while, and by and by old Mass said, well, a bargain's a bargain, but you and me is good friends, and I don't want to see you lose all the money you paid for that boy, and if what you say is so, and I ain't sputin' it, he ain't worth much now. I specs you worked him too hard this summer, or else the swamps down here don't agree with the Sand Hill boy. So you let me know, and if he gets any worse, I'll be willing to give you $500 for him and take my chances on his living. Sure enough, when Henry began to draw up with the rheumatiz and look like he gonna die for sure, his new master sent for Master Dougal, and Master Dougal gave him what he promised and brought Henry home again. He took good care of him during the winter, gave him whiskey to rub on his rheumatiz and tobacco to smoke and all he wanted to eat cause a black man would could make a thousand dollars a year off and didn't grow every huckleberry bush. Next spring, when the sap rise and Henry's hair commenced to sprout, Mass Dougal sold him again down in Robeson County this time and he kept that selling business up for five year more. Henry never say nothing about the goofer to his new master cause he know he gonna be took good care of the next winter when Mass Dougal buy him back. And Mass Dougal made enough money off of Henry to buy another plantation over on Beaver Creek. But long about the end of that five year, there come a stranger to stop at the plantation. The first day he is there, he went out with Master Dougal and spent all the morning looking over the vineyard and after dinner, they spent all evening playing cards. The black man soon discovered he was a Yankee and that he come down to North Carolina for to learn the white folks how to raise grapes and make wine. He promised Master Dougal he could make the grapevines bear twice as many grapes and that the new wine press he was selling would make more than twice as many gallons of wine. And old Master Dougal just drunk it all in, just appeared to be bewitched with that Yankee. 
When the darkest see that Yankee run around the vineyard and dig it under them grapevines, they shook their heads and allowed that they fear Master Dougal losing his mind. Master Dougal had all the dirt dug away from under the roots of them scuffing on vines and let them stand that way for a week or more. Then that Yankee made all the black men fix up a mixture of lime and ashes and manio and pour around the roots of the grapevines. Then he buys Master Dougal for to trend them vines closer and Master Dougal took and done everything the Yankee told him to do. During all this time, mind you, this Yankee was living off the fat of the land at the big house and playing cards with Master Dougal every night. And they say Master Dougal lost more than a thousand dollars during that week that Yankee was a ruining them grapevines. When the sap rise next spring, old Henry knowing his head as usual, and in his hair Mr. Grow the same as it does every other year. The scuppin' on vines grow monster fast, and the leaves was greener and thicker than they ever been doing my remembrance. And Henry's hair growed out thicker than ever, and he appeared to get younger and younger, and suppler and suppler. And seeing as he was short of hands that spring and having took in considerable new ground, Mas Dougal alluded he wouldn't sell Henry till he get the crap in the cotton shop, so he kept Henry on the plantation. But long about time for them grace to come on them scuffing on vines, they appeared to come a change over them. Them leaves withered and swiveled up, and the young grapes turned yellow. And by and by, everybody on the plantation could see the whole vineyard was dying. Mas Dougal took and watered them vines and done all he could, but when it no use, that Yankee had them bust a watermelon. One time the vines picked up a bit and Mads Dougal allowed that it's gonna come out again but that Yankee done dug too close under the root and pruned the branches too close to the vine and all that lime and ashes done burned out of them vines and they's a kept a wiving and a swiveling. All this time the goofer was a working. When the vines started to wither, Henry missed a complaint of his rheumatiz and when the leaves began to dry up, his hair missed a drap out. When them vines fresh up a bit and Henry get pert again and when the vines wither again, Henry get old again, and days kept getting more and more fit for nothing. He just pined away and pined away, and finally took in his cabin, and when the big vine where he got the sap to anoint his head with withered and turned yellow and died, Henry died too. Just went out sort of like a candle. There didn't appear to be nothing the matter with him except in the rheumatiz, but his strength just dwindled away and he ain't have nothing left to draw his breath. The goofer had done got under the hoe and throw Henry that time for good and all. Mas Dougal took on mightily about losing his vines and his boy in the same year, and he swore that if he could get hold of that Yankee, he'd wear him into a frazzle and chew him up to frazzle, and he done it too, for Mas Dougal was a monster brash man when he once get started. He soaked the vineyard out over again, but it was three or four years before the vines got the bearing any scuffing on. When the war broke out, Mass Dougal raised a company and went off to fight the Yankees. He said he was mighty glad that war come, and he just wanted to kill a Yankee for every dollar he losing because that great raising Yankee. And I spec he would have done it too if the Yankees sent suspicious something and killed him first. After the surrender, old Miss moved to town, and the black men's all scattered away from the plantation, and the vineyard ain't been cultivated since. Is that story true? Asked Annie doubtfully, but seriously, as the old man concluded his narrative. It's just as true as I'm sitting here, Miss. There's an easy way to prove it. I can lead you the way right there to Hemmer's grave over yonder in the plantation bearing ground. And I tell you what, mister, I wouldn't advise you buy this old vineyard, cause the goof is on it. It ain't no telling when the goof are gonna crap out. But I thought you said all the old vines died. They did appear to die, 
But a few of them come out again as mixing amongst the others. I ain't scared to eat the grapes, cause I knows the old vines from the new ones. But with the strangers, ain't no telling what might happen. I would advise you to buy this vineyard. I bought the vineyard nevertheless, and it has been for a long time in a thriving condition often referred to by the local press as a striking illustration of opportunities to northern capital in the development of southern industries. The luscious Scarponone holds first rank among our grapes, though we cultivate a great many other varieties, and our income from grapes packed and shipped to the northern markets is quite considerable. I have not noticed any developments of the goofer in the vineyard, although I have a mild suspicion that our colored assistants do not suffer from want of grapes during the season. I found when I bought the vineyard that Uncle Julius had occupied a cabin on the place for many years and derived a respectable revenue from the product of the neglected grapevines. This doubtless accounted for his advice to me not to buy the vineyard, though whether it inspired the goofer story I am unable to state. I believe, however, that the wages I paid him for his services as a coachman, for I gave him employment in that capacity, were more than equivalent for anything he lost by the sale of the vineyard. Are you still up? Girl, good night.